0: Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm talking to Laura Davis. This is one of the last episodes recorded at the Edinburgh Festival, just been, and uh, I have saved among the best for last. This is a, a really enthralling conversation. I was so excited to speak to Laura. Uh, I loved her show Cake in the Rain a few years ago, uh, and I saw Ghost Machine, which she performs entirely or almost entirely uh, from within a duvet cover full of fairy lights, which is, I mean, e- even describing that you can't really sum up what a beautiful thing that is to see on stage Uh, and you're about to hear some of the motives behind it and uh, some of the really frustrating origins of those motives. Uh, I'm going to let Laura tell you lots more. Uh, She's got a lot to say. There's some great extra material from this episode available at the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Uh, A content warning for you before we start. We will, uh, in a later part of this conversation, uh, discuss uh, Laura's show Cake in the Rain, uh, which was uh, in part about suicidal feelings. So just to warn you, that's going to be coming up uh, later on in this conversation. For now, I am going to let this phenomenally accomplished and very, very exciting comic artist speak for herself. This is Laura Davis. There is a thing you wrote about uh, comedy and about audiences that I mm. would like to ask you if you are, and you feel free to refuse. I'd like you to, when we're finished, the last thing we do, just before I take a picture of you and send you off, <laughs> I would love you to read it out loud into the microphone okay. because I would, it is do such you, a you statement. You have it, presumably. I have it, I have it. And it's, uh, I'll show you what it is That's now. It's dear potential audience members, it was oh. from an interview you did, I think, pre-this festival or possibly oh, the last one. These
2: are all so dangerous because all they are is somebody has sent me a thousand questions to answer yeah. and I've gotten mad at one of them. That's yep. what they
0: look like if it's
2: a so long... Yep.
0: <laughs> yep. It's about the... Uh, uh, it's, it's disavowing your audience of the need to worry that either creator might walk away oh, with yeah. any shame or confusion r- because of your reactions to my work. It is... <laughs> it, it's... Shall we, shall we start with yeah, it? Yeah, I was you mind very angry I would night. love you. It's three paragraphs, and I just <clears throat> want you to read it into the mic, was and it? we'll either start the interview with it or we'll tack it <laughs> on at the end, because it is so of you. I was like, I'm delighted with this.
2: The questions you get are so fucking dull, and they are sometimes very... Uh, not personal And you know, tell us about your mother, but sometimes they ask that. But just those sort of... They, they seem to always hedge that you are terrified, all the questions like, oh, but but aren't you terrified of this? Because they, they want something interesting, and the way sure. they go about asking that is sort of a weird, sort of negatively skewed question towards yes. you, of like, oh, what are you worried about? Your audience is thinking about you. And go, well, hang on, wait, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whilst I, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I fill in lots of those myself mm. and roll my eyes often, um, I think often the questions... Uh, along those lines, are intended to. They, they come from a person who is not a comedian yes. trying to imagine what your worries might be. So I sort of I don't want to, I don't want me ask you to read this to contain any inherent criticism of the <laughs> no, of whoever it was that asked that I question. I did
2: delete some the other day. I got sent them just yesterday. I was answering them, and one of the questions was, "Tell us about." Your worst fall. Jesus <laughs> like, are you like, oh do, you, do you want the one where I like broke my nose, or like what? Ah. Are you looking for an injury story, or, or are you going for like an embarrassing? Oh, I was walking on stage yeah. and I fell in right. front of. The, is this
0: a typo of the word fail? <laughs> what is it? <laughs>
2: Just delete that one.
0: I, I just think, and we, we can discuss. Well, I don't really
2: remember what I wrote because well, it was one in the morning and I was very angry. Then we're going to get it
0: uh, afresh.
2: What was the question that they had asked? I don't know and I don't care. Okay. I think they had asked something about, you know, what do I worry about my audience? Or do you worry the
0: audiences would think? Something like that. But this is such a, a kind of a, uh, a, a. I don't know what it is. is. Let's. Say I just would like I to I think hear it really.
2: explains me. Uh, dear potential audience members, I want to state clearly to any and all of you that I am in complete control of my artistic choices. If you are considering coming to see my multi award winning, critically acclaimed show Ghost Machine, please rest assured that all my audience, both collectively and as individuals, need to do is sit back and enjoy the show. You do not need to worry that I, the creator, might walk away with any shame, confusion or bewildered hurt because of your reaction to my work. You are beholden to no responsibility in regards to my personal emotions. You are free to select at leisure your natural and organic responses to the show because I will stand no less proud to go to bed no more ashamed, mortified, discomposed or abashed than if you had stayed at home eating an arrow bar in front of the telly and our paths had never crossed." Come for the experience of it, if you wish, rest assured that I am perfectly aware that human perspective is psychologically diverse and multifaceted. All interpretations of art are valid and non-diminishing of an artist's original and creative intentions and pride of work. I beg and implore you, please, please do not let the wording of this flippant Q&A make you feel that you will be judged or condemned in your responses to my jokes, or that I, in turn, will measure myself by the subjective yardstick of your approval." I will provide the jokes, and there will be no judgment upon you for that which you choose to savour or detest. Sincerely, Laura Davis. I think they asked, are you worried that your audience is going to be uncomfortable for you, or will you feel embarrassed? What's, what's the worst way they could respond? Sure, sure, sure. To sure. a
0: joke. For me, that, <laughs> particularly in that final paragraph, and thank you for reading the whole thing, Particularly in that final paragraph, do not—it's something along the lines of, "Do not worry that I will judge myself by the subjective yardstick of your opinion." Please. That to me should be in the front of every comedian's <laughs> notebook.
2: I'll use it as my blurb next year in the back of the
0: flyer. Do you? Would you? Do you agree with me that that represents something fairly central to who you are on yes, stage? Yes,
2: I think so. Um, yeah, it's hard to. Describe in in some ways, I think that sums it up quite well. Um, But I, I came through in Australia, in Perth, when, you know, this is 2008, 2009, but where I was coming from, still pretty impossible to work on stage as a 19, 20 year old woman without most of the audience getting up to go to the bar. So I had to. I feel like that happening so young, both you know, age-wise and in terms of career, sort of set set a a, a margin or something for mm. what I was willing to judge myself by, because I could see that I was doing good work, but most of the audience gets up and goes to the bar, and which is kind of worse than being heckled,
0: because it's yeah. simply it's it's kind of like, <clears throat> oh, it's a drum solo.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, no, this is the time to go. And you go, all right, well, I'll just talk to whoever is enjoying it. And, you know, obviously it, you know, hashtag it gets better and all of uh, the things develop beyond that. But I feel like that never got shaken out of my work and now it's sort of a, a key part of the persona and, you know, you know, not just persona, but my personality of how I'm willing to work on stage. I want them to have a good job. I've done everything that I can. But also, if you're not enjoying it, I can't... I can't apologise mm-hmm. for it unless I've done some... Also the idea that artists aren't allowed to make mistakes. I mean, you're not allowed to charge a lot of money for your mistakes, but if you're just working you know you're allowed to have a show that isn't somebody's favourite show and still charge them money for it in the same way people go and see films at the cinema and go I didn't really enjoy that but nobody's angry nobody's calling up the filmmakers to you know get it unmade to stop it screening (laughs)
0: Yeah, so I mean, there is in, in Ghost Machine.
2: Mm-hmm. Your le- is it
0: your latest show? I feel like it's existed. L- it's
2: a couple of years. I thought so. Okay, older, hmm?
0: and you brought it to the Edinburgh Festival yes. this year. And in that show, your I've seen that, and I've seen the Cake in the Rain, mm-hmm. which both of which I mean, the Cake in the Rain absolutely floored me. I'd never seen you before. Oh, Ghost Machine, you. I absolutely loved this very different show. But I had by that point already known what you were yes. and knew what I was in for. So I, I, I don't know if it had the flooring me impact that the first of one did. Um, in Ghost Machine, and we'll talk about the ghost mm. in a moment, but by the time you are recognizably yourself, mm-hmm. the moment at which you dis- disrobe yourself of the ghost costume, you say something regarding your body mm-hmm. and about the continuity of your body and that it is effectively your grandmother's body and your mother's body, and one day it will be, mm-hmm. it will look My like daughters. your, your mm-hmm. daughter's body. And that, and as a result, I forget the the accident. Uh, I just say
2: anything bad you think about me, you think about them, and I'll fuck you up. <laughs> so yeah, so, just, God, I love that line what so much. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and again, that, it seems like that kind of mission statement mm. that that you've just read. It seems to me to be such a I don't know what the word is uh, uh, like. Uh, uh, addictive or hooking in or grunt mm. you know what I mean? They, like, I, as an audience member, I, I think we love and cherish that amount of, I simply, I very articulately mm. could not give a fuck what you
2: think. Yeah, and in um, in a show like that, that is about, you know, an existential crisis, essentially about the atoms and the particles that you made of, and, you know, I do perform the first 45 minutes inside a duvet cover under the conceit that, you know, and, and, you know, the very real fact that I did that show inside a duvet cover because people weren't coming to see it when it was just me.
0: Is that Was that the origin of yeah, it? Yeah,
2: so I was struggling so much for audience. I did a show the previous year, which is another one that I will probably rewrite and bring next year, um, that had such great critical claim: my room was full every night but of artists and passes so we would get two or three ticket holders in and then turn away a line of pass holders so it was just industry that were willing to come and see it and so what what can I do like I'm not the best face for my own work like I've tried all these different sort of images on posters and like what anytime and you know at this point I'm 25 I'm younger than I am now and I'm just not sure what I can possibly do and I went well is there a way that I can I can not be on my posters like and the show's called Ghost Machine so let's let's make it a ghost on the posters and it's like oh but but maybe I'll wear it for like the first five minutes while I'm ushering in this crowd And then I would take it off for the first few shows and then I would just leave it on and leave it on. And then, you know, uh, the artistic element of it is it functions essentially the way a puppet does in that you can explore bigger, uh, massive topics, if you want, without people... People essentially project the person that they would like the most... To be underneath it for the first forty-five minutes, and they bond with you through the ideas. And by the time you take it off, you're already accepted, and they've already seen the best of you because there was nothing for them to it's judge you.
0: It's a blind interview process. Yeah,
2: it's and yeah. It's, a, it's the way that you know you have puppet shows that deal with massive dark issues and everything because having anyone and it's not necess- It's partly gendered, but but also just having anybody stand there and. Talk about the meaning of life, you'd be like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, yes,
0: yeah, yeah. That, that, especially, that, especially a 25 year old.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah. And so that was a way of like, well, all right, if this ghost is, it, it makes you, gives you an alien perspective, essentially, yes. in the same way that you would, you know, use
1: and it in d- fiction. Do you,
0: do you feel more that you have recognized a horrifying truth about, uh, about, people's prejudices, mm. which I guess you have on one angle, yes. and on the other hand, you have struck upon a genuinely valid and exciting theatrical device that's yeah. also good marketing. Yeah. Like, which, like the, those mean, things
2: coexist, it's, don't they? It's both. I, d- I definitely don't want to perform any more shows inside a duvet colour it's, it's, <laughs> and I, I can't you know I used to not say it on stage I used to let the device speak for itself and let people interpret it and now I I can't help myself but mention it at the start of oh people more likely to come out to hear the opinions of a ghost than a woman oh it's just and people, you it's get such the, a funny line the laugh you get is so guilty too it's wonderful because you get this sort of like a oh, 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 oh fuck yeah sorry like yeah. that's yeah.
0: the pretty, pretty glad I established my credentials with having seen your previous work yes of course
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I love that show more, the one you saw at Soho Theatre, yes. because it's it's me and I just get to talk and um, I feel like that's also... there. There is some parts of just time moving and society changing and yes. everything. So, I'm, I'm you know, I'm under no delusion that every woman has to perform inside a duvet cover to get audience members. But for me as a young woman doing a show about essentially the meaning of life... <laughs> I wasn't able to get people in without... As a gimmick, but also as a way to sort of buffer for the whole... There's a, a comedian, um, uh, Heath McIver, who does... Uh, yes. ...Randy.
0: Friend of the show, will yeah. not come on the show. Because he, <laughs> won't be, he won't be interviewed as Heath. He would only be interviewed as Randy. Yes, and Randy yeah. is such a complex... Well-written, brilliant character yes. who's capable of improvising—it would almost be worth me doing it. Yes. But at the same time, it would be like interviewing. I mean, not worth. It would be yes. worth doing, but it also breaks a rule for me about not interviewing people in character. <laughs> but I'd almost break it for him because yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's so I feel good. Like Randy is said. one of the best living stand-up comedians. I think. He is.
2: And look, there is that thing of you know, if you, if Randy you...
0: is a pink Sesame Street-style puppet.
2: Yes, and that thing of quite often with characters. And and puppets in a lot of ways, too. Like, if you would like to talk to the puppeteer, you have to talk to the puppet, because that's the... Yeah. (laughs) That's the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which one is the persona It's sometimes an interesting game. But, um, yeah, Randy uh, does these incredible sort of landscaped almost shows uh, which deal with these massive issues and human, like... And people will listen to a puppet... Tell them about those things where, if you know, other people were doing it, they'd be like, ah, oh, fuck's sake. Stop. So, giving somebody a blank thing essentially means more people can, weirdly, more people can identify with a ghost yes. than they can any visual <laughs> interpretation yes, of yes, a ghost. Yeah, because I
0: suppose they can put themselves into yeah. it in the way that it is harder. It's the classic thing of if you see a man fall down a hole, we all laugh because we all identify. Mm. If you see a woman fall down a hole, we sort of think, oh, God, is she all right? And that yeah. interrupts the laugh yeah. in a completely gendered and sexist way that it is hard to see where that might yeah. be concluding. <laughs> I suppose watching a ghost we can all put ourselves onto the ghost Yes, and, and it isn't just a I mean as I mentioned to you when we ran into each other the other night it looks fucking great it's very beautiful fairy under it. it's a beautiful it's a very pretty liquid. ghost the back wall being lit is yeah. significant and makes it pop out wow great yeah, theatre it's just a
2: nice little bit of theatre so it was fun I really liked making that show and then yeah in future work I of course won't be inside a Dubai cover um, zombie next year <laughs> yeah whatever it takes
0: <laughs> So this is Laura, and as you can hear, I am absolutely enthralled with this conversation. It's such a joy to speak to someone. I mean, I'm analytical about comedy, but I'm kind of wishy-washy with it, do you know what I mean? I'm always sort of relativist and go, well, it's all sort of valid. Uh, Laura has such uh, an exciting and definite quality to the way in which she describes and talks about her art. It's just a pleasure to talk to her. We're going to hear a lot more from her. Uh, Also, in the Insiders Club, uh, we will talk a little bit more about the benefits to stand-up comedy if you're a shy person and then the benefits involved in actually doing stand-up and the types of stand-up that Laura first uh, performed and how that kind of developed, uh, partly because of her own shyness. Um, We're going to talk about, let me see, what's on the list of... uh, Oh, in the extras, there's a, a show called Pillar of Strength, which has a very challenging... Concept and was one of her early works, which she's considering resurrecting. It has at its core uh, a really uh, sort of fascinating and very challenging switcheroo kind of device which we're going to I mean even calling it that doesn't really do it justice at all but uh, we'll talk about that in the Insiders Club as well because obviously I don't want to give away the secret of that show uh, particularly seeing as she's um, considering resurrecting it and rewriting it Um, and also we're going to talk about uh, her fear of failure and we're going to talk about um, the right of artists to make shitty work of which Laura is a big defender. So lots more coming up with Laura uh, soon. We will, as I mentioned at the beginning, talk about uh, her show The Cake in the Rain, which was about her then-suicidal thoughts. So uh, just be warned, that's something we're going to go into in a little bit of detail later on. More from Laura in just a moment. A couple of things to tell you before then. There's two live comcoms coming up. One uh, is at the Vault Festival in London, uh, and that is going to be me interviewing the police cops Um, which I think I must have mentioned during the Edinburgh Festival, I, I ditched tickets to see another thing so that I could go and see this show for a second time. That's how good it is. They did a show called Police Cops and then a sequel called Police Cops in Space, which was arguably better I, I've been telling all and sundry to go and see them. I, I'm so, so excited about their work, and I did that awful crushing thing of uh, waiting for them afterwards and going, oh, just so you know, I did this thing, and I'd love you to build it. OK, OK, I really revere you at the moment, because we've not met, and I've just seen you be fantastic. So uh, I'm really, really pleased to get uh, all three police cops on the show at the Vault Festival, uh, which is in London, in uh, Leak Street at the Vaults. Uh, and the tickets are £6.50 if you're an insider. We've got a discount code for you. I'll sling you that on the uh, the Workspace app. Um, and uh, it's on the 2nd of February at 4.30. So that's really uh, that's a really good way. I'm really pleased it's at 4.30 because then you can come and see loads of stuff before and after at the Vault Festival. There's some really fantastic stuff going on there. Very excited to be involved with that. Uh, also at the, uh, the Podfest Birmingham, at Symphony Hall Birmingham, I will be interviewing on Saturday the 23rd of March at 1pm, again, a lovely afternoon show, because uh, we've all got other work and shows to see in the evening, um, then uh, I'm going to be interviewing the phenomenal, legendary comic, TBC. So uh, just jump on and get your tickets now, because when we reveal them, it could well sell out. That's all of that. Uh, there is still a chance to get T-shirts. Up until New Year's Eve, you can pre-order your uh, your fucking Bees T-shirt, uh, for, designed by the fabulous com and uh, go to comedianscomedian.com slash merch to check those out we have done we've taken a a huge number of pre-orders and so that will close on New Year's Eve and uh, it may not open again I might do another little mop-up thing next year but I I suspect not I think this is going to be the run so it looks like there'll be quite an exclusive item and finally my new comedy show End Of is on tour in Maidenhead Falmouth Cheltenham Crawley Reading Leamington Spa Salisbury Oxford Bromsgrove Plymouth and Soho apologies if you're any where northwest of Bromsgrove or north of Bromsgrove, uh, I will hopefully be coming somewhere near you in the second part of next year. This is just a little introductory mini tour. What with me having a tiny baby? So uh, go to comedianscomedian.com slash tour. And just a reminder, the Soho dates are the ninth to the 11th of May. So jump on that. Uh, that's all of the stuff. Tweet me or Instagram me at comcompod. I don't know if you can Instagram somewhere. I'm really unfamiliar with the technology. Um, but uh, you can get in touch with me at comcompod or email me info at com. And very last thing, I have been involved in a Christmas single with a load of podcasters from The Modern Man, The Guilty Feminist, Beef and Dairy Network, Answer Me This, The Two Shot, The Tip Off, and many, many more. And you can distinctly hear me completely evade the best efforts of the sound producer's autotune, and I I literally ruined the chorus. So <laughs> have a, have a listen to that. In fact, don't just listen to it. It's called Sounds of Christmas. You can buy it. You can buy it from iTunes or wherever else you buy your music. Um by the podcast All Stars, all proceeds go to Samuel's Charity, which helps kids living in underfunded children's wards making their lives more comfortable. So please do uh buy that, listen to it s- several times and uh see if you can work out it basically the voice that's ruining the chorus, that's mine. I I don't like to sing, but, uh, you know, it's Christmas, isn't it? So do, and and buy it quick because they, they count between the 14th and the 21st of December and they're going for a Christmas number one. And it's sort of entirely possible with the combined reach. Um, the There's a link which is awal.lnk.to dot dot slash podcast Christmas. Of course, no one's going to remember that, so I'll just put it on the Facebook group and Twitter. Uh, but please go along and buy that fabulous Christmas single. That's everything. So you let's talk about the way that you have worked. You you mm. were working for ten years, I guess, yeah. in Australia before bringing any work to Edinburgh. isn't yes. to say that you know this festival has any. No, of, of course own.
2: not. It was it was just never an option, really. Like we we sort of forget how much cheaper air travel has become in even the last five years. So I had never left Perth until I won an open mic competition in Perth and they flew me to Melbourne that was the first time I'd ever left Perth Western Australia was I was 20 because we never had the money growing up to travel and then all my money went into getting to Melbourne which it's so hard to describe for people in the UK where you can get places but that was a six $700 return ticket Jesus. to go to Melbourne and Jesus I was losing a lot on the comedy festival every year that I did it, so all my savings went into doing that, establishing myself in Australia. And then it really wasn't until I, I had a couple of good seasons at the comedy festival, just maybe the last two or three years there, that I was able to start looking at the idea of taking work over to the UK because it's, you know, it's so expensive and I, I was an artist, but there was no income for that. Um, so, yeah, it's been sort of... And, and waiting. I was young when I started, so I didn't feel a massive time pressure to get over here. I was quite happy to wait till I was, you know, 29 years old, and that's that's okay. Come over fully formed and ready to work, and I've been having a great time with work opening up here, which is lovely. Um, yeah, really interesting experience. I, I feel like waiting to travel until you're a bit older is, is quite an interesting... Experience, because yes. you sort of know what's happening to you a little more than I think you would if you're twenty two twenty one
0: yes, what's <laughs> happening to you in industry terms life terms? yeah,
2: everything you' sort of like, oh okay, I really the the sudden change of scale at that age is is interesting. I think it's quite hard to describe, but the whole thing that you've always known like you're you're old enough to know that it's around earth and there's all the different places, but you start to really see it. And appreciate, you know, the the things that you're able to learn because of it. I think, you know, it's not happening to you accidentally. Yes. Is there the what
0: kind of a a background were you doing circuit gigs? Were you doing club gigs? Mm,
2: Yeah, circuit work. um, Just club gigs. Uh, There's a lot of touring in Australia that you can do because it's massive. So if you want to go to any of the capital cities, they have a club scene and then you can go fly to Adelaide, do that club scene for a couple of weeks, go back to Perth, do that club scene for a couple of weeks. So a lot of that... And quite um, nomadic,
0: like you have to go somewhere and stay there for a couple of yeah. weeks. It's not like in the UK circuit, you know, nipping up to yeah, you, no, London you, to Sheffield or the other way or whatever. <laughs> no, yeah. you,
2: you sleep on somebody's couch for a, a week or so and you do all the gigs in that town and then you fly back. There was a time, it was breaking my brain, where I would pay $300 to fly to Brisbane to earn $500, 200 of which pays the rent in my house in Melbourne, which I can't enjoy because I'm on a couch in Queensland, but if I stayed in Melbourne, there would be no work to pay that 200 so I had to... <laughs> and so you were just sort of living like a net neutral <laughs> existence, which is quite nice in some ways. You feel like you're really paying for yourself, but it's a very odd way to live, just sort of scraping just enough to pay everything off but no money to, you know... Anything.
0: <laughs> were you were you kind of sufficiently ardent about the work that you never considered not doing that? I mean, that sounds so difficult mm. and problematic
2: I that I have... imagine
0: it turns off a lot of people. You unless you're 100% committed to it, you must yeah. be thinking, screw I this. I had
2: horrible, horrible day jobs. Uh, the one I describe in Ghost Machine of Sorting Forks was very real. Um,
0: I'm sorry, my that was the noise of my jaw hitting yeah, the floor. Awful. I assumed that was a, a beautifully absurd it, comic device. It,
2: it was partly, but that was part of the job. It was a job moving corporate furniture around, setting up for events, and everything, catering everything. So, I had uh, awful jobs. I've, I've actually ruined my leg from doing it on pretty much a permanent basis. Um, I did those jobs for years and years, took whatever I could, and then there was a little gap where I just started to make enough money. Doing essentially festivals, where if you know, if I did Adelaide and made three thousand dollars, that would buy me you know a month's minimum wage or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So sort of got to that point and was able to start working, um, and you know any yeah just sort of decided to choose to be quite poor for a while, and then ended up writing for television, which gave me enough money to move to the UK essentially
0: so just to just to step back a little bit mm. into who you were before you brought yourself to comedy mm. uh what kind of kid were you
2: oh uh it's it's one of those ones people always assume that you're some sort of extroverted child or something, but very very anxious very earnest uh sort of uh, I, I wouldn't go outside for a long time because I was afraid of acid rain, like that That sort of a kid, but always able to talk. And the thing was I was so shy and so anxious, I would be mute. But then if anybody would ever engage me, I had this terrifyingly loud voice that would like, people would just run from, essentially. So it's this sort of weird juxtaposition of a very outgoing kid in a very... You know, quiet, very anxious, very shy, which is, you know, still absolutely uh, within the realm of my current stage persona. And so, uh,
0: was that the result of of external pressures, or were you just made like that? Uh,
2: made like that, uh, essentially. And it, you know, again, it does sound very pretentious, very wanky, but a highly sensitive kid, very aware, absolutely aware of the mm, like. I, being at school at seven years old and going, I think this is institutionalised education. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, after lunch. <laughs> and not, yeah, being so shy was sort of um, a proper coming of age after, and it was stand-up. I, When I started, I couldn't speak to anybody And such bad anxiety when I was 18, 19. I was going to university, uh, going to my classes. I would not, I would buy a ticket on the bus, wouldn't talk to anybody at all couldn't bring myself to would cross the road off campus to eat my lunch go back in and all I would do was save up and write a little little jokes for my tutorials because that was the only way that I felt like I could contribute was be to write little jokes on you know Shakespeare's The Winter's Tale or something, and then because I didn't want to read the fucking thing, <laughs> <laughs> so I would just write jokes on the concepts that I knew were in it to go over spark notes or something. Write jokes, so in the tutorials, I would get participation marks because they would assume I'd read the f- thing because I was making jokes about it, but I hadn't read the thing. I just knew what was ridiculous and I could chime in at stuff. So that was sort of
0: in, in order of what? That you would pass the class or in order that you would make friends?
2: Oh, pass the class. <laughs> and then I would just disappear. I wouldn't speak to anybody else. So the only things that I would say for a very long time would be the jokes that I would write in my university classes. Laura, that's it's, astonishing. It's nightmarish and then I knew that there was this open mic competition and I knew that I I'd wanted to do stand up for a very long time and People always think that shy people would struggle with stand-up because it seems so counterintuitive, but it's actually a really wonderful way to express yourself and have a conversation with loads of people whilst being in complete control of that conversation. There's no variables like that you don't have control over. So you go, I, I feel this about this and, you know... Everybody comes back with, yes, we agree. And you go, oh, fuck, thank God, I'm not alone. And you get to go home. And so it's actually quite appealing to people who maybe aren't that... I was always a confident public speaker. I could always do it if I needed to. And I was quite... Um, at high school, it, again, sounds very pretentious, but I mostly spent my high school essentially protecting the kids with disabilities from Bullies because I didn't have anything. I didn't have anywhere else to be. I was like, I don't think you can throw rocks at the kids with Down syndrome. I don't, I don't think that's right. So I'll sit here, and if anybody does it, I'll yell at them in the biggest voice they've <laughs> ever heard out of a teenager. And that was it. It was a really weird, constant juxtaposition of somebody who is very shy and somebody who is extremely loud and. When you mentioned the bit on my my body and saying, like, uh, I look like my grandmother, who was beautiful, I look like my mother, who is, and I look like my daughter one day will, so anything bad you think about me, you think about them and I'll fuck you up, comes out of, I think, being... trying to make sure that it's clear to the audience that this, like, the fierceness of that side of the persona is all on the side of good. Like, to say, no, no, I'm not... I know I'm loud, I know I'm scary, but I'm I promise I'm just protecting people. I'm not I'm not out to attack like very, very few of the jokes that I write have victims in them and the ones that do I've sort of chosen. Like I will write jokes about anti-vaxxers because I think that it is fucked and I think it is inexcusably fucked and I can't look at that and go no, oh, no, we don't want to hurt their feelings. I think that's
0: I think that the insight encapsulated within that bit that you've just described about <laughs> about recognising that there will be some of you who consider this endearing and you're <laughs> the enemy, that is like one of those... That's what, that level of insight in your material, throughout your material, mm. is one of the things I think that makes you really special as oh, a comic. Thank you. Because you... Like, do you recognise that, that there's, like, you've got sort of... Yeah. There's kind of the basic stuff, which is funny and about something, and <laughs> then there's the bit, the pointed bit, the barbed bit, or the reversal, the yeah. parallel, something you find, and I'm miming upwards here, but maybe it's deeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, like, another... It's st- in, it's, it's through. It's in, it's going, <laughs> permeated. Yeah. Do, do you see what I mean?
2: Yeah, I do. I really... The way I've always felt about stand-up and... Uh, I mean, art, in a lot of ways, across the board, I think we have to... When talking about stand-up, remember that stand-up is the medium in the same way that painting or dance or mime is uh, a medium. And the the core need of it is the the artist would like to reach out and connect and share a human experience with people. That's the whole thing is like, hey, you know, this facet of human experience, do you recognise it? That's, that's all a painting is, that's all anything is, is to go, ah, look at this, you too? <laughs> like, that's the core drive of it the comedy is the medium but stand is it feels like it is ideas refracted through a prism of different other people's perspective in the same way that light hits a prism you have a hundred people so you give them one idea a hundred people have to like an audience is smart because individual people are smart that is a hundred separate people and you send one idea out it bounces out everybody sends it back and some people send it back differently because the processing is different and you get some sort of sense of what you just said through their reaction like you are it's sort of like a hologram like you only get to see what you said until other people go that's what you said because <laughs> it's still you know you maybe experience it that very odd feeling of after doing a show you know something like in Edinburgh you know 20 odd times in a row and you can hear yourself saying it in exactly the same way but you've sort of been able to take a step back and watch it happen around you. I find that very interesting. It feels like it's, it's one idea, bounce back, and then you give them another idea and they bounce that back and it's just a really interesting way to sort of, you sort of get the sense of who you are through what's being uh, sent back to you. I don't know, like dolphin sonar or something
0: like that. I was just trying not to step on any of that <laughs> fucking brilliant, poetic, articulate... I, yes, I completely agree with you. I think it's beautifully put. Is, let's look at the, through through that idea, let's look at how you make work. Mm-hmm. Because what you're describing there, I guess, is that even with the finished project, you're not talking about yeah. the kind of the reflexive <coughs> process of creating work. Mm. But absolutely, the finished product is, and, and, and while you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, that's, I've been frustrated by sort of feeling a bit solidified Mm. in my show this year. It's, you know, it was built in a very loose, written on on stage kind Mm. of way. And so now I'm doing it the same every day and I'm trying to change it up. I'm maybe not pushing myself to change it as much as I should. Equally, I'm feeling a bit guilty about, oh, this is sort of ossified. But actually, yes, half the time there is a different reaction. Mm. Is simply because there are different people in the room. It's so easy to blame yourself and go, oh, I must be under par, I must not be listening. Sometimes those things are true. That is
2: true. Um, Yeah, and, you know, you have bad days and you wake up tired or whatever. But, you know, it is... You, you know, the, you notice it, you know, you get a weekend crowd in and it's some tourists and they maybe are loving it but in a different way to the people who come out on a Monday night, well because people who come out on a Monday night are probably comedy fans who've seen lots of stuff, they come in, they appreciate different parts of it, like it's just a different, you know, this you it's uh, people have said it before, it's not my idea but, you know, you will never get the same audience twice unless you start organising a very specific reunion and even then... The things they will have learned from your show or from the time in between that will have changed them. So you will never, yeah. you know, it's, you you can't ever talk to the same. Everyone will know a little bit more than they did the day before. Like you're never talking to the same person, essentially.
0: That um, recalls <laughs> in, in, in completely in opposition. That recalls to me Zoe coons Ma yeah. her theory that, or her not even a theory, but her her sense that the audience is always the audience. It's yeah. like looking at that idea from the opposite end of the yeah. spectrum. Is like, you again. <clears throat> she has yeah. these kind of guys. <laughs> oh, it, it
2: is. And it's that thing of, um, you know, it, weirdly, it's the longest relationship that I've had. And, you know, a lot of people have. I mean, it's 10, 11 years now of telling the same person my problems every night. <laughs> the Same collective mm. thing. It's a it's really odd sense. I,
0: I, I find, I, that's really interesting. I find that and I imagine you are in a, a similar position, somewhere, somewhere al- along the same mm. scale. We both have a bit of a following. Mm. As artists now, there are people who come back to see what you're doing yeah. now. I suppose I imagine wrongly that they are all genned up with totally where I am in my life now. <laughs> <laughs> because they are. I haven't even really had that as a conscious thought. I was remember being really excited by Zoe's idea of it. But the idea that... It's them again. Mm. And it is the longest relationship of your life yeah. because it's you and the audience, you and them. Yeah. And so what are, the, what are the defining characteristics of this relationship that you have with them that is the longest relationship of your
2: life? Interesting. Yeah, it, it feels hard to describe because they are different people all the time. But I, f- I feel like it is just me checking in with who I would like to be at any one time. Like, every day I'll go, hello, this is the person I'd like to be and how I'd like to be seen. Mm. And where stand-up starts to feel gross is if you are sort of... I mean, maybe just uh, for myself, um, but if you are disingenuous or inauthentic, like, people can tell when you are not being genuine with them. People have a pretty good sense of that, just one-on-one. So you imagine a 100 people... <laughs> looking back at you, it's quite it's quite hard to trick them in some ways, like to sort of say, Yeah, I'm like this and you, you see communities that have amazing writing and amazing performance skills, but there's something just off and it's usually because then you see them backstage and like, oh hello, I'm Derek. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sometimes it's an aspirational this is the person I would be if I could be and it is the real me. And then other times it's it's not. Um I'm sort of playing with it at the moment. Coming here where the voice I use on stage is quite different and part of that is just theatrical projection and part of it is just um, habits where going to bars in Australia I would speak sort of like this, just uh, all right, yep, all right, we're doing some comedy... And now in the UK, every now and then I'll drop it, I'll sort of go into that, do my set, yep, so here's all my comedy, here's my, here's... Oh, by the way, this is my real voice, but any time that I used it, people would go to the bar. So now I talk like this, because this is the one that people stay in the room for. And it's a fascinating thing where I go, that is... Yes, it's me, but it's also, it's not... Like, I would love to do stand-up in this voice, but it it still doesn't feel like it's possible. So that's what I'm sort of experimenting with now is to what extent can I start to relax now that I'm in the UK and I'm a little bit safer from, you know, the uh, nightmarish.
0: Do you recognise that voice in other female performers?
2: Yeah, so many. And I've been mentioning this for a while and this is not in any way intended as dismissive or that they're doing the wrong thing uh, because it is a fucking brilliant way to adapt to be able to work um, I feel like when men go on stage the first thing they have to get across to the audience is that they're funny and can do their job it's the sort of the thing you're taught in any sort of stand up workshop is you know go on do your best shortest joke get them over get a laugh out in the first 30 seconds do it again to prove it wasn't a fluke and then they'll trust you feel like the first thing a female comic has to get across when she walks on stage is why you wouldn't want to fuck her anyway and that's before you can even get a joke out you have to sort of go on and some people will do that different clothes different attitudes I do it by being fucking obnoxious from the get-go and scary like hello everyone sit down shut up is not sexually appealing. Uh, ...it's designed to sort of it's be... niche, I
0: suppose. Yeah, it's <laughs> niche, exactly. But sort of
2: niche. You have to get across... ...why the men wouldn't want to fuck you anyway... ...and to the women... ...why the partners wouldn't want to fuck you anyway... ...and don't worry, like it's a real like... ...oh, don't worry about me. So some women are like... ...oh, don't worry, I'm very daffy, don't worry, I'm very silly... ...or that sort of like... Oh, ...I don't know, I'm only little. And some would be like... ...oh, I'm weird and I'm crazy... ...and like whatever... ...thing it is... ...or like, oh, I'm just gross... And it's sort of that thing that sort of the secondary step from all the stand up that came through, you know, even like John Rivers and stuff, amazing perform, but so much of it born out of, you know, that self deprecation, which is important. And then she was able to craft this incredible high status character. Later, though, it's still this sort of it's interesting thing. I wonder thing. if there are parallels with camp. Camp. whereby yeah.
0: men are kind of expressing... I'm no expert on this, but <laughs> I guess... not it? <laughs> I guess uh, some men, some gay men, would express their difference in mm. a way that was either a little bit like a stand-up persona, mm. and I repeat... Comedians of all genders and, and anything can uh, learn a fuck ton about comedy from watching RuPaul's Drag Race yes. and watching people be versions of themselves in honest and less honest mm-hmm. ways in a, in a kind of a completely different but similar yeah. ballgame. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, in right? a more honest way and in a less
2: honest way yeah, at the same yeah, time. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
0: Fascinating. I, I wonder if there are, there are parallels with transmitting through the way you speak. Mm-hmm. I know something with the, a lot of men, and this is, I, I notice this in comedy, but I mostly notice it outside of comedy men often speak with a deeper register than their natural register. Yeah. Um, yeah. I used to really do that on the street all the time to try and convince people I was... Yeah. Not, 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 not uh, deliberately masculine. Not, I wasn't yeah. thinking, I am gonna you know, I was just going, oh, i really... Hi, hey, everyone, you know, in <laughs> a way that actually... Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more up here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually much easier. Can,
0: can you think of a female comic who doesn't do that, who doesn't do some variant on... I'm only little.
2: Well, you've got Hannah Gatsby's Nanette, which just sort of swept through in a a proper, and that was sort of the the antidote to that of like, no, no, I'm not only little. I'm I have this and this sure. to say, and that's sort of a fascinating. Sure, uh,
0: I, I think in that example, the that that
2: I mean, there's there's loads. Is
0: so tied into the yes. message of that show, I just wonder if. I'm just interested, in if it doesn't go anywhere, doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering because I, I totally agree that I see that a lot. But I'm sure we must be able to oh, think. Oh, absolutely! Of there's, who there's, who don't do that. At there's all. plenty.
2: I remember watching Josie Long years ago do, start to do all her lovely political stuff, and be like, "Fucking yes!" <laughs> like. Yes,
0: yes, and she, although she, I suppose. I wondered, does Josie dress, or did she habitually dress in a way that would connote?
2: But then, are we um, into craft? Yeah, but then are we just are we just condemning women for the natural self expression sure, as sure, being yeah, like? Yeah, yeah. But then there is that sort of yeah. I feel like you do have to defensively desexualise yourself on stage, and it's yeah. only just time to or like a hyper sexuality on stage or you you just have to make sure it, it doesn't really matter what way you go you just have to make sure you're in control of how you're being sexualized how you're on being stage sexualized, yeah. you, you you want that to be on your terms yes. and every woman has a different way that they would like to be sexualized <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: whatever you I mean, you want to I mean, get that first, I feel. You want to be like, hello, this is how you're going to sexualise me. Alright, here's my joke. <laughs> and, that, I mean, and that is
0: another example of the kind of Laura Davis, it's going to be the, the, the permeated... Yeah, and there's
2: a the full spectrum, yes. and there's no, ah, yes. there's no wrong way to do it. That's what I said at the outset. There's no... I'm not like, yeah, these women, because that's, that's sure. not correct. But you do feel like that's the thing that women have to get a handle on first before they get a handle on... Oh, and I'm funny. You go, hello, this is how I'd like to be seen... This, whereas you know, men do get to come out t-shirts. We get to jeans, define status. Hello, this yeah, is who sure. I am. And if you wanted to sexualise me, I guess you'd do it like this. Like.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: but it's a secondary approach.
0: It's interesting. So, as a, th- I think that's fascinating. As a thought experiment, yes. If a woman were walking on stage of an audience composed entirely of straight women, yes would what would that affect the thing? Would that affect what you're talking about? It's
2: interesting. Um, I
0: don't, I'm just it's asking inter- speculatively.
2: It is, it is interesting, and I have almost done that. Uh, you know, charity gigs for women's cancers and stuff are majority female crowds. They can be so lovely, and you can really relax and go, oh, I'm going to tell you about this. Oh, and this. And I don't normally get to gig with this many of my mm. female friends. <laughs> so <laughs> we're all very excited to be here. Um, some of the most bitter heckles I have ever had, have been from, I guess straight women who have felt I I imagine anger because I have not subscribed to the same genre of femininity as they have and I am not being punished for it. It, it sounds like, again it's very, you know, I'll probably get angry tweets or something but uh women who've sort of i feel constructed a lot of themselves out of fear of rejection of okay i have to look like this and this all has to be like this else there are penalties and then somebody comes on stage who has not ticked all those boxes there are no penalties so they have to create the reality which they have lived their life in you know respect to so they have a choice to either heckle me, say something nasty about the way that I look, to punish me for not ticking these boxes and for daring to speak and for daring to have, you know, a room full of people listening to my political opinions whilst I'm not dressed up or anything like that. If they let me do it, then they've lived a life... <laughs> According to rules that don't All exist. All that
0: slacking was totally unnecessary. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so
2: they they come with an anger that I only see in that. And it doesn't happen. It's not like, oh yeah, every gig this happens. But the ones that have had, I've had the most sort of shock out of, like, oh fuck, what are you doing? Like, what are you saying? Like nasty sort of personal heckles tend to come, and I feel that's the the root of it. Is somebody going. Oh, you're not meant to be allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Am I allowed to do that? No, I'm definitely not allowed to do that, so you're not allowed to do that. And it's, a, it's a policing of the rules. And you go, no, no, the rules don't apply. You're allowed to do what you want now. And they go, no, you absolutely can't. Your tits are fucking massive, ugly, slut tits. And you're like, okay, uh, gal, just let me finish the comedy, please. <laughs> and then we can address it yeah it's an interesting one where I think uh you know all female audiences are so fucking lovely so as as a thought experiment i've experienced it they 're lovely, but the the more bitter heckles tend to come from women who feel betrayed by a set of rules.
0: Have you ever uh, chanced to or tried to write a, uh, a suitably nullifying put down encapsulating everything you've said in the you know, literature? Like <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> I
2: normally have a little go. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there's got to be a line go that manages to say oh, I love all <laughs> of that in a beautiful people... entrapment way because that would, God, I'd stand up. <laughs> yeah,
2: people always think that heckles are a bad thing and that you always, I fucking love them because I know what my jokes are, I don't need to hear them again, I'm quite happy to stop a show. I had one, I did a show a couple of years ago called Marco Polo, uh, which I performed completely blindfolded for the hour. Uh, didn't take my blindfold off. Oh, I did, but I would do it to meet just one audience member every night. I would turn my back to the crowd, get one volunteer to come and face me and face the audience, and we'd have a very short conversation. I'd be like, "I'm only, I'm doing 20 shows of this season, and I'm only going to meet 20 people who wants to be one of them and the whole show was like crowd work essentially and sort of playing on the, the sort of connectivity of different people and sort of I'm again I'm just in fucking bathers weirdly that's sort of where I've always ended up <laughs> feeling the most comfortable is <laughs> just that a. I feel like I've got quite a, a feminine body and Wearing different clothes sometimes feels like I'm hiding something. So there's an honesty about a pair of speedos where I'm like, "Hello, this is it. Have a look. If you need whatever you can get out of it, get it." Show <laughs> <That's so> you. <laughs> yeah, it's a very yeah. baseline, like no secrets. <laughs> um, but I did the whole show blindfold was fucking wonderful because you sort of go, "Ah, oh, who, who, who likes this? You like this? Okay, who else? Okay," and you sort of try and find what they had in common and stuff whilst not being able to see anybody. I had a man heckle me at the start of the show, put him down and then waited because they always come back to prove that they weren't beaten. It's a weird thing where they'll, like, you you could drop hell on them. Uh, You give them a real bad time for a full three minutes and then they still go, well, i have to wait 25 minutes then come back to prove that I didn't lose this fight. So I waited for him and he piped up again. And I (laughs) asked the audience, I was like, "Um, can I... Just have a round of applause if this is a white man in his mid to late 40s wearing a T-shirt and a shit jacket (laughs) and the whole crowd Oh, yeah! I was like, I've met you, I've met every other fucking... And, you know, I'm hedging my bets. It's Melbourne, it's probably a white man coming to participate in the arts. (laughs) Like, it's winter, he's probably wearing a jacket. There's no, like... So I'm hedging it. But also, like, I know who he is, he's the same version. There's also another version which is... um... Um, a 50-something-year-old man who always comes and sits in the front row and starts heckling before the show starts to sort of establish, like, hello, I'm here to be... Uh, not have a good go, Missy, because I always start on stage, so I'm always there. And had one the other night. Kicked him out of the show, sort of saying, no, no it's always a man your age, talking over a woman my age. I can't do it anymore. You've got to go. And... And he's just go. oh, I have never been so offended in my life. And I go, well, that's a great life then. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fuck out. <laughs> and it's this one is sort of you say your first sentence. You go, I'm Laura. And they go, hello, Laura. And you go, I've met you before. I've met 70 of you at least over my career. Just that age, that gender, that fucking chair in the front row. And as soon as you say hello, I'm Laura, they go, no, hello, Laura, I'm Graham. <laughs> oh, fuck you, Graham, why are you always the same man? <laughs> and, you know, can't distinguish from them, basically. It's really interesting. It's be- because the persona is so high status from the outset, and it's to weed out people like Graham who go, oh, we'll, we'll see about that, Missy. And you can go, all right, now I know <laughs> where the danger spots are. <laughs> I don't know it's interesting
0: let's talk a little bit more about how you find those those kind of permeating insights those whether they're above or below or inside you know the how you go the extra mile in your material is that something that you're actively doing or is it something that just is apparent to you or is it is it something that You start off with kind of material A and then
2: realise, oh, it
0: goes further to place B. Usually
2: that one, I think, where I'll go, this would be funny, but also some people would see it this way and other people would see it this way and sort of, I don't know, it feels like any time... I always start with myself and try and find those Different aspects. It feels like you're constantly rummaging around and stand up inside yourself, pulling something out, holding it up to the light, and be like, "Hey, does anyone else have one of these? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Who's
2: got one of these?" (laughs) And people go, "Oh, I've got one of them." You're like, "All right, good." Uh, Dark fear about not living up to the mother's expect. Yeah, I got one. All right, get back in. Like constantly, like a weird game of operations. So I always try, you know, start with a concept, and then I feel like the thing that I'm. I'm maybe gifted in is understanding the reasons that people do things and why some of the, I'm trying to write a joke at the moment I don't know how to write it but I want it to be about how the English took fish to Australia, like to put in the streams, like on a boat like transported there. you wanted to colonise a country but you were bringing your own fish like <laughs> that's a funny premise to me, I don't know where that can go but it's it's not in the fish, it's in the people who are like, yeah, all right, but we're, well, I don't want to go to Australia, but all right, but I will, but I'm taking my own fish. Like, <laughs> so strange. And then working about what that is also the same as, I guess, and what else does that core human trait of like, yeah, but I'm taking my own fish also relate to, and trying to yes. open that up to other people's experiences and see, you know, where that can possibly lead. So that would be sort of trying to, go from getting a concept to the deep human <laughs> significance of that <laughs> happening and then trying to get somewhere in between those two points.
0: And, and do you spot yourself applying the same tools year on year? Do you ever find mm. that there are kind of creative habits? Like Because I, I, I think mm. that is... I don't mean things like the thing you've described, because mm. I think that is a sort of a core part of who you are as a comic. Mm. It's not about the fish, it's about the people. And yes. it's kind of likening the kind of the, you know, how do we take how do we take whatever's funny about this and mm. discover it within the secret heart of everyone else? Find <laughs> it like in the operation yeah. game. But are there are there kind of habits that you get into? Do you ever find yourself going, I'm I'm sort of doing a a something 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 joke again, or I'm doing a this is like this joke, or I'm doing Maybe.
2: a Maybe. Maybe. I feel like... I haven't
0: identified any. I'm asking no, no, I'm tra-
2: I, In terms of how I work, I, I quite... I, I did this when I was learning more, and I feel... Not that I've stopped learning, but there was definitely a sort of rapid period where I went, oh, I could do anything, and sort of opened it all up, and I started to actively train myself. And so one thing I would do is I'd go on stage with nothing, that was the rule, and I just had to talk five minutes at this open mic night about whatever had happened to me that day or ask people to what happened to them and, like, try... And that's where so much of the call and response in my shows comes from is going, you know, the questions I ask. I go, oh, why haven't you killed yourself? And someone will go, oh, I've got a magazine subscription. <laughs> and then my job is to do some jokes about... the magazine subscriptions, and gets to the core of how I feel about magazine subscriptions. And then I should probably be able to get... It's trusting that you've learned the language and the rhythm of stand-up to get to somewhere funny regardless. And, I mean, that's a big leap of faith, but also it's training. It's 10 years of... it's, it's, It's a language, it's a formula in so many ways. Not that I know it and I can go, yes, a joke is X plus Y plus... This, but if I start talking about magazine subscriptions, I'm probably gonna just get somewhere that's good enough
0: for a because joke. You, because you trust yourself not only to have the tools and the rhythm to, yeah. to make it funny, but also you trust that your appreciation of the world is such that there will be something for yeah. you to find in yeah, I can what think. it means to have a magazine subscription. Yeah,
2: yeah. Just, just, you know, just off the top of my head, just the idea that the niche magazines that exists, you know pigeon fanciers and stuff and someone's like no no i want to read about pigeons on the third of every month like <laughs> and, and signing that up for your life is amazing i can't and, trust
0: myself to go to the shop to do yeah, it yeah it has to arrive yeah, this, has <laughs> to, this has to
2: come to me <laughs> it's fascinating and you just sort of unpick it bit by bit and sometimes just pointing out the deeper parts of it is what's funny, um, because you're meant to go, oh, magazine subscription, we know what that is, and not go any deeper. Um, I also, I I find myself quite often when I'm generating, quite often I I want to make myself quite uncomfortable, so sometimes we'll talk about uncomfortable things because my defence mechanism is always humour, so I know the more uncomfortable I am, the funnier I'm likely to be. So a lot of my... Shows have come out of, you know, and stuff like wearing a pair of Speedos. I'm not comfortable in my Speedos. I'm not going there going, hello, look at my amazing buddy. I feel so confident. I'm going, oh, well, fuck, better, better compensate for this. <laughs> like, and it helps. It, putting myself in an uncomfortable position on stage, not so that, you know, you're shaking and you're sick or anything, but so that you feel like you have to come forward with a little bit more is always good. So talking about, you know, questions like, oh, well, why haven't you killed yourself? is a question asked in the show. And we've had the full spectrum of answers from I don't know to, oh, uh, my son killed himself and we were uh, devastated by it so I would never want to do to my loved ones what what he did. We know the value of life and the whole audience goes, ah, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? But you just say thank you and you engage with them about it because no one's going to answer something that they're not comfortable saying like I'm not shaking it out of people. I'm just saying, oh, how about you? And they go, I need to say this. And I'm, well, that's that's why I put it in the show was for you to have your bit too. Because I'm not talking about suicide. If there's people who've been affected and they want to share something, then they're allowed. Like it's for like yeah. Again, sounds very pretentious, very wanky, but it's for them. <laughs> it's not for me. It's it's a. It feels like you need to have a level of self-sacrifice on stage around persona and around bravado to get to what the audience what, why are they there why did they leave their house why weren't they sitting on the couch eating an aerobar? Bar like why aren't they they come out because they would like a shared human experience and then everybody panics and they leave blankets on seats next to them because they'd like to have their shared human experience all by themselves without people any strangers yeah. next <laughs> to them and then your job is to come in and go hello we're here for a shared human experience how about this yeah you and like that's what people come out they want to be entertained they want to laugh and I'm you know I know comedy is a spectrum of genres in the same way music is and anything like that, so I, I have complete respect for people who don't see it that way, but I do feel like it's my job to entertain them, but also to give them the thing that made them leave the house, which was to go, oh, we just want to... And, you know, comics who are better than I am, funnier than I am, doing a fucking amazing job of just you know, one liner amazing, and you're looking at the spectacle of somebody who is that good at writing jokes. I'm not that good at writing jokes. I write good jokes, but I need to have something around those still. I, well, you I,
0: need, to, I, I don't, I'm just going to challenge you on that. Mm. I don't know if you need to do that so much as you want to do that. Your yes. jokes are excellent. You yes. could do it, you could do a banging hour, I'm sure, of Mm. just the jokes. My suspicion is that that would still be a fantastic four-star show, but it wouldn't interest
2: you. (laughs) Yes, maybe that is it. Yeah, it's an interesting one where you sort of... I I still feel... I feel a... Particularly if you're covering any sort of deeper topics about human experience, you have to make it relevant to the crowd and you have to make sure that they get a a few moments and... um, yeah, one of my favourite parts of that show is all the questions to the crowd and how that changes the show for me each night. And you start off really easy, and there's little techniques where I'll ask somebody, and if they, if I see them panic or go like, oh, I, "I don't know," I, I pretend I'm interrupting them, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. They go like, "Um," oh, and I go, "Oh, just." By the way, some people say this and this and I'll yeah, go and I'll sure. give them a couple of minutes thinking time, come yeah. back to them once they've had a little think. And if somebody's like, I'm ready to go, I know the answer, that's great. But if you're not, then I will
1: mm.
2: couch for that and make sure that you're comfortable. And I've had some where, you know, the audience have sniggered at somebody's answer or something, and I have blasted the entire crowd because you do not dare somebody says anything in this space and it will always be the defender of, you know, the person that I've singled out from the crowd is my primary responsibility to make sure that they don't go away having a bad time. So it's an interesting scale of responsibility there where I want to look good but also I want to make sure that the crowd... And if that means that sometimes I have to go, oh, I think I'm a bad person. Oh, I'm shitty like this. Oh, and I have this problem. So the crowd gets to go, oh, yeah, us too. And that's sort of not a bad exchange.
0: You've mentioned, you mentioned in the cake in the rain. Mm-hmm. You talk about your own suicidal impulses, mm-hmm. and earlier you were talking about how sometimes you aren't as depressed as you are as you make out you mm-hmm. are on stage. You're doing it for jokes. Mm-hmm. Where are you with those impulses at the moment?
2: It's it's one thing where I I used to struggle so much with it when I before I performed when I was 18 19 20 proper horrible time and it was uh it was because I was repressing at least 50% of my personality at all times. I was so shy. I had no outlet for any sort of anything. It was it was awful. And then at different points of my life it's been different. I still feel like that that non, that that impulse without the intent is quite normal for me. Like that, that like. Oh, but what about if we just jumped? No, not we've got like the whole. It's, it's terrifying to describe on a podcast with, uh, you know, no context to it. But that sort of those impulsive thoughts without the oh yes but i do want to die <laughs> sure sure um but it does feel just like kind
0: of an occasional mad thought yeah or, or, or go, just, a, just like a, on yeah
2: the way i described it in cake in the rain is sort of like a little tap on the shoulder it's just like hey but what if you killed yourself now and you go oh there's sausages in the fridge and then yeah. they come at 20 minutes they're like yeah but what about now <laughs> I'm living above a fire station, ah, and it is the worst. That's not a relaxing <laughs> Every place to live. Twenty minutes. The trickiest part is that I am getting used to the sound, which means I think now I can sleep through a fire. <laughs> I think that's. I think that's it. That's Terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I, I'm. You know, I'm having a lovely life and and everything. Uh, but still have those impulses on a daily basis without the intent. So it's an interesting thing, and i that was the conclusion of Cake in the Rain last year, was saying that I sort of I like it in a weird way because it is that thing of like, well, well why don't we kill ourselves now? And you go, oh, th- all these reasons, and you just keep moving. So it's that interesting thing of sort of living a life with your mortality in the forefront of your mind... <laughs> Which is something that we are absolutely taught not to do. You know, you're not meant to look at it, you're meant to live your whole life without pretending that you're not. Yes. At constant risk of expiry at any moment, because that is terrifying, but I still feel like I'm somehow able to process that information and make it a a way to enrich yes, there's a Kurt good novel
0: it may be cat's cradle where people mm. sign off to each other friends always sign off with don't forget you're going to die i in like a, that in a warm way to yeah. remind yourself don't forget don't forget
2: like don't be fuck. wasting any of this time no get up do stuff yeah. <laughs> or have a nap if that's what you want we don't mind just whatever you want <laughs> yeah it's an interesting one but yeah, light like making work that sort of covers that, and because it is sort of the deepest, most human part of us, is that. Like, I, I I'm worrying with Ghost Machine that maybe I've slightly outgrown the show because I wrote it in 2015, and then I feel like my style has developed beyond it. I don't mind doing it for this season, but I'm not sure how many times I will be wanting to tour it after this. Maybe one-off shows, two or three shows or something, but probably not another long season of it, because I'm quite excited to write more things. Are you happy? Yes. I am happy. I'm having a great time. I am very anxious about what happens to me because I don't have a house to go to in a few weeks' time. I've just got married last week. Uh, we don't know what part of the world we'll get to live in. Uh, I should be making a TV show here in the UK soon, which would be nice. Can uh, you tell us anything about that? Or is I'm, a about I'm, it's a, look, all I can say is it is a script no one would look at in Australia... Uh, for a very long time, and then the two biggest companies in the US and the two biggest companies in the UK were both all fighting over it because Australia wouldn't accept uh, and would not fund any part of that work. And uh, I have a lovely writer's agent here, and so it does feel like an entire door has been opened up where I was like, oh, there's no TV writing options for me, and now it looks like there is, which is deeply exciting um so yeah i am very happy because there's a lot good that is all set up but also terrified because none of it is it's all in the air you know contracts still have to be signed uh my husband and i still have to find a place to live or to see if we're on the same side of the world for most of our lives it's yeah so i'm very happy very optimistic but also oh gosh (laughs) what happens thanks No
0: worries. So that was Laura. Thank you so much to her for coming on the show. Thank you to The Place Hotel in York Place in Edinburgh for kindly letting us record there. You can catch up with Laura at Laura Davis Comic on Twitter and indeed lauradaviscomedy.com. And I really, really recommend you try and get to see her live. As you heard, she's moving to the UK. Uh, she will, I presume, be globe trotting her fantastic shows around the festivals of the world. Um, do make an effort to see her live if you can. She is something else. Really, really fantastic comic and so... Interesting and so vital, just a joy to speak to her. Thank you once again, Laura, for coming onto the show. Um, and uh, as I said, uh, there's extra material including tips for shy comedians, and not so much tips as sort of a celebration of how, in in Laura's very erudite way, she articulates how comedy can really work for shy people, even though those things seem counterintuitive. Um, and also, we will go uh, further into detail on some of the things we talked about in that episode. So, comedianscomedian.com/slash-insiders. Slash tour for my tour details, slash merch to get hold of those Christmas t shirts and t shirts before Christmas. And do go to the Facebook group or look at the Twitter at ComcomPod to find the link to the All Stars podcast Christmas single, which I bitterly regret, but I hope does very well. That's everything. Listen, I've got a post amble for you, um, which I record. I, I don't, okay, here's the thing. I had the worst death of my life at a Christmas gig um, uh, about a week, 10 days ago now. And uh, I recorded my immediate reaction afterwards and I recorded myself after the gig after that. And it's quite a fun thing. It's about half an hour. I was going to put it as a postamble on a show and then I thought, you can't really go spaffing your own death over someone's, someone's otherwise pristine and wonderful episode. So I'm going to release it as a special Christmas episode uh, maybe next week. Who have we got? Is next week actual Christmas, is it? What are we on now? Um, Yes, so next week's on Christmas Eve. That'll go out. um, And No, maybe I'll put it out sometime in the next few days and then you can listen to it on the way back from your own horrific Christmas gig or perhaps horrific family occasion if you're not a comic. It really is awful. But um, I'll release that separately. I I shan't sully Laura's superb episode by doing that here. So no post-amble this week and uh, keep them peeled. Some crackers in the can. I've got a two-hour glorious special with Doc Brown, uh, which I just know you're going to love. Ed Axel still to come. Jake Johansson. K. Trevor Wilson, if I can find the sort of file. It's somewhere. It's in a hard drive somewhere. Um, Toby Haydoke, Phil Ellis, both fantastic uh, interviews as well. And uh, plenty more in the can. Have a lovely Christmas if you don't hear my voice before then, but um, I hope you will uh, download the next episode of this in the next few days, which will be a genuinely horrendous comedy death. That'll do for now. (laughs) Bye-bye.